Hi, I'm Morgan. I'm Odette. And I'm Madeline. And, and we, we love Christian fiction. fiction. We love it so much that we wanted to talk about it on a podcast. Each episode, we will read classics of the genre or new releases. And discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. So come join us. Hi, listeners. Hello, everybody. Redeeming Lit Podcast. We're so glad you joined us again. Here we are. Here we are. Okay, so today um, we're talking about a fun book that we read mm-hmm. called <laughs> The Gentle Rebel. The Gentle Rebel by Gilbert Morris. It is the third installment in our military series, the third and final. Um, yeah, so, cool. yeah. Um, we did a D. Henderson one modern, then we did When Least Fall in Paris. World War Two, and this one takes all the way back to the Revolutionary War. There it is. So you're getting birth of our nation. Birth of our nation. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And some people, I know, right? Some people like to start with the older history and go to the newer. We switched it around on you. Started with present. We went back in time. Back in time, 1775. We literally did not plan this at all. No, no, we didn't. We picked and the books and we had no and we, we planned it there, but we did logical right. order. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like we tried that a little bit with the historical fiction, but I don't think we fully got there for when we released episodes. So they were all delightful books though. But. Correct. That's right. Anyway, um, that we took a tangent there. We took a tangent. <laughs> but this is the book that we read. And Gilbert Morris, um, I just wanted to say, so this is book four um in the House of Winslow. And that mm-hmm. is a very long, very long series and a very famous 40, 40, 40, 40 books in the mm-hmm. House of Winslow series. Yeah. Um, this is actually a series that my mother-in-law and one of my sister-in-laws are really big fans of. I remember when I was dating my husband, I would go over to their house and they have all of their Gilbert Morris books on a bookshelf, like out in the hallway. Wow, you can see them. That. And so that's actually where I first, because I'd never read these. Um, and so that was where I first Fun. First, um, heard about them. So shout out to them. That's so fun. And the the first book starts at the Mayflower, and then the last book ends in World War Two, and it basically mm-hmm. follows the Winslow family through American history. So, yeah. which is really yeah. interesting. Um, and yeah, and it's obviously the, this is a snippet. It seems like you could read these as standalone, but I think the value if you kept reading them, you would get more and more from them as they go on. Um. Because it definitely, he- even heavily, even in book four, it heavily references other Winslows. Winslows, yes. yes. And so you're oh, wait, what happened with them? What happened with them? Yeah. So, for sure. And even things like maybe big, big moments in like the parents' lives that now have children that were reading about their children's lives. So, definitely that component. Um, but they do have a family tree. I'm assuming it's going to be in all the books. Um, but we just saw it, obviously, in book four. But technically, um, this book absolutely can be read as a standalone. Yes, like the story absolutely. stands alone. So, yes. Yes. Um, so a couple of housekeeping. Number one, we're virtual. I was not feeling the best today, so we did virtual instead of driving to see each other. Um, yes. Um, that's what I love about technology is you don't have to be in the same room and you can still do things like record a podcast. The other thing is, as per huge kids, you might hear kids in the background all as well, as we always say. We just, um, two of the three of us have kids, so... Um, yeah, you might hear them in the background. And the two of us that have kids have a lot of them. So yeah, 
True. <laughs> More kids than us in the podcast now. When we started the podcast, there was an even amount of children versus us. Now there is. We're outnumbered. We are we're outnumbered. But they're all delights. So I'm not a I'm not opposed to that at all. Um, <laughs> um, so we have a, a little disclaimer about this book, Content Warning. Mm-hmm. It's it would be I would say just like very mild. Yes, and I mean as as most of with the exception of maybe Francine Rivers, most of our content warnings have been pretty mild. Relatively mild. Um, but there is some. It's really more of an insinuation I would say than outright on the page. Mm-hmm. But there is this insinuation of uh, abusive type situation in yes. the very beginning of the book mm-hmm. between one of the main characters, the main female character, mm-hmm. and her uncle. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, yes, and also if frostbite and almost dying in the snow is a trigger to you, that happens in this book. But also, yes. that does happen in this book, yes, yep. it does. Absolutely, also war, also war death, yeah. yes. destruction, battles, gunshots, the whole nine yards. So, if that's something that's triggering to you, oh, maybe yeah. read this book because it is about the revolutionary war time in American history. So Okay. Correct. All right. Shall we read okay. the back cover now that we've um, Let's do it. got through that picture? <clears throat> okay. Freedom was the cry of a nation, but at what personal cost to her people? The gentle rebel. The gentle rebel brings the dynamic saga of the Winslow family into the American Revolution. Starting with the first pilgrim settlement at Plymouth, the House of Winslow novels have vividly described the forces that shaped early American history and its people. Book three, The Indentured Heart, brought the story to pre-revolution days. Wow. Side caveat, this is Morgan here again. <laughs> I, to do with the book. <laughs> none of that has anything to do with this book. That is basically everything we just told you and took like four minutes to say. It summed up in two sentences. Three, people love hearing things directly from us. So you're right. Okay, continue. Nathan Winslow, the son of Adam and Molly, was at first opposed to the idea of revolution against the British crown, but eventually he becomes an American patriot. His love for the beautiful Abigail Howland, a proud and spoiled Tory, lies in direct conflict with his mission to help free his land. From the hotbed of patriotic activity in Boston to the green fields of Lexington, from Breed's Hill and Bunker Hill to the deadly overland winter trip towards Fort Ticonderoga, Winslow carries the banner of his family heritage and faith. Faith and courage, confirmed or denied? Oh, wow. wow. That's a bad cover. Also, I would like to say that the one main character. What did you say? It doesn't mention at all one of the major main characters in that back cover. I know. I literally thought about that because I was surprised that the book opens with a character who wasn't mentioned on the back cover copy. Mm -hmm. I would also like to point out. One pro of this book design is that the library code is now covering up the majority of the book um, back cover copy. Well that done. Is, well done. Yes. Makes it easy for so us. Feel free, authors. Take notes. If you want your books in libraries, drop down your uh, main back cover copy so that, that the barcode doesn't cover it. Little pro tip. All righty. <laughs> Little pro tip. <laughs> Or just something okay. that bothers me, Morgan. <laughs> or a personal. Case. There you go. Okay, personal so guys, star ratings. Star root. Okay. Who wants to go first? Not me. Oh, no, do you want me to go for that? Yeah, okay. go for it. That's fine. Um, I give this book three stars. 
I enjoyed it. Um, it's a pretty middle of the road book for me. The story was interesting. I liked the characters. The author's writing style was not my favorite. And so because of that, and because it was a historical fiction, I feel like I only like historical fiction. I'm very scarce about the kind of historical fiction that I like. You know what I mean? So, yeah, thank you. That's the better, that's the word I wanted. Um, so because of that, the author's writing style didn't jive well with me. So there were a little bit, there were times when it lagged a bit because of that, I think, which is why I gave it a three. But I mean, overall, the story was good. The characters were good. I was invested in the characters. It wasn't like I didn't care what was happening to the characters, which is usually when I DNF a book. Right. I cared what I cared what was going on. Yes. So I don't know if that made any sense. Sure. Middle of the road, three stars. Okay. I think that I've settled on a 3.75. Okay. okay. Which is, yeah, I think it's 3.75 for me. I definitely, this is my genre. Like I love historical fiction. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not very selective. Mm -hmm. When it comes to historical fiction, especially Christian fiction, like if it's historical fiction, I'm going to pick it up and more than likely I'm going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I just love this um, style. And I also love this, um, excuse me, subgenre. And I also love this time, time period. period. Um, fun fact about Madeline is, as you probably already guessed, she's quite the history buff. Mm -hmm. And colonial America is one of my favorites for some reason. I just love it. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, but the writing style did not bother me at all. I, I couldn't put this book down. <laughs> I had to know how it ended. I wouldn't say it was like ending, finishing it. It's my favorite book I've ever read. It's 3.75 for me. There's definitely some things that I was like, meh, meh. But while I was reading it, I was like, wow, I have to know what happens. I have mm -hmm. to know. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, I'm more on Morgan's side, which is interesting because I feel like usually Madeline and I are more aligned on, um, at least this season on star ratings. I'm a three on this one. I liked it for a lot of reasons. I, I also have, and I think I mentioned this, that th this was like a little caveat. I think I carried this over from my mother. I mentioned this in season one that historical fiction always for me was a really good way to color in the lines of something that could feel very flat as far as just like reading in a, in a uh, school textbook or, you know, even if you Unless I think it's almost the same as like if you go on a field trip to something that you've read about in American history and you go there and you experience it and you're like, oh, my God, this because, you know, it's real. But when you hear it colored in someone else's life, um, I think that that just adds a, a dynamic to it. Um, I thought it was um, an interesting story. There was a point where I stopped reading it the one day because I was like, if I don't stop, I won't be able to put it down. I'll be up all night. So I put it down. Um, but. Um, I did like things about it. I did have a few problems with the book overall. Um, the writing style was not my favorite, but I did enjoy certain parts of it. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good read. I definitely think that if you're a history lover, historical fiction, that enjoying that um, House of Winslow series could be a huge bonus because I feel like there's a lot there that you could really dive into in American history. Yeah. Also, Madeline, I feel like we need to go, we talked to, we joked about going to Scotland or something at some point because of um, uh, Blar Fran's book, but I feel like we should, an easier trip would be to go to like a colonial America historic kind of sites, you know, and on a little like podcast. Williamsburg? Go to colonial yeah, Boston, you could go, we'd go on the Freedom Trail, all that, like the whole thing. Anyways, Philadelphia, 
pretty college close. I went to I went to college like forty five minutes from Colonial Williamsburg, so mm -hmm. I, I I was there all the time. <laughs> One year, that's where you wanted. To, what did you do for your birthday? That's what. And yeah, mom, I my mom and I my went. Mom and my sister yeah. and Morgan to join me in Colonial Williamsburg for the weekend. That was super. It was <laughs> super fun. I'd never been. And it was great. So much it's, it's a good time. I went there when I was a kid. I haven't been as an adult, but I remember I, like they even had things like the stockades, and you could like put your like, like it just it was fabulous. And then um, also like Fort McHenry, I would been there. I feel like that's similar. That's in Maryland, I think it is. It's like an old fort. I mean, I'm I'm assuming it's still a thing. But anyways, lots of things on the East Coast for sure um, for oh, colonial. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, that was really fun. Um, so now we're going to go to a really fun first uh, little section here. Um. Mads Rad Reviews. All right, Mads, what do you got for us? Okay, so this is an interesting book because to, like an interesting book to look for uh -huh. as far as like on Goodreads or something. Because um, it's older, it was published in 1988. Um, so there's not a lot of reviews on it. There's a lot of star ratings and not a lot of reviews. So there's a lot of plenty of people who gave it one star, two star, three star, and then didn't write a review at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, but here's some silly ones that I found that I that made me chuckle. <clears throat> okay, let's start with this five star review from Lindsay whose profile picture, by the way, is just a, a moose, a large moose. Hmm. Person maybe, is small. I don't know. <laughs> like a baby, maybe. Sure. That's a good point for that. <laughs> um, are large. Lindsay says, five stars. This book was very good, and I wonder what happens next. Does she oh, say wonder what in a odd wonder what? One word. Wonder uh, what? Wonder this what? Book was very good and I wonder what happens next. She commented that May of 2010. Okay. Oh wow. Wonder, so, wonder if she found out. Hopefully for her, hopefully for her, she was reading. I mean, she was reading the series 20 something years after it had been written. So I, I hope that she was able to find out. Wonder what? Next. You thought about it, Lindsay. You know what? Here's a question. Do you think she was, I wonder what, about the characters or about the Revol American Revolution? Oh. Yikes, oh, no. well. <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay, where have I you been? I wonder what, are the Americans going to win? <laughs> I wonder what happened. <laughs> Is it going to um, be a full-blown war? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Four stars. This this review is from Janice, who also has a very interesting profile picture. Is that a large moose? It looks like a doll. It's a, it's a doll, a baby doll sitting next to a puppy dog. A is it a large dog. colonial doll? It's colonial. It's She's, a large colonial doll. Yes. Yes. The doll is dressed in colonial clothing. <laughs> Sitting Absolutely. next to a stuffed puppy. Okay. Jim. Sometimes I'm forced to order <laughs> clothes for large colonial dolls. Dolls. <laughs> The clothes at Gap Kids are too flashy. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Janice gave it four stars. She said, very interesting and difficult to put down. Okay. Which I thought that was funny. Madeline felt the same way. I, right. I thought that was funny because I was like, well, that's what I thought, Janice. Same. Although my profile picture is just a normal picture of my face <gasps> and not a weird colonial doll sitting next to a stuffed dog. 
lastly, let's look at a three-star review from Gen C forward slash. Gen Z forward slash? Gen C. Gen C. Gen C? Gen C. Gen C. Gen C forward slash. Gen C forward slash. Okay. Gen C forward slash scenes. Three stars. The beginning of the Revolutionary War. Here's here's my question. Is she giving three stars to the book or three stars to the way that the American Revolutionary War started? Hopefully the book. Because... (laughs) I mean, if you had to give a star rating to the beginning of the Revolutionary War, I don't know if it would be three. Also feels like find something else to do with your time. 1.5. Something else to do with time. you're not giving star ratings to the World Wars. The Revolutionary War. Lexington. One of my friends died. One star. No. I mean, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, why would you give a star rating to that? Freaking Yelp review. Yelp review for the Battle of Lexington and Concord. Oh my god. One star. (laughs) Absolutely. Can I tell you that while I was reading this book, so when I was a kid, tired of hard times. A little tangent before. That too. Sorry, what did you say? That? A little tangent before we jump in from my childhood. So when, when I was a kid, we didn't have a we didn't have cable and we didn't watch a lot of TV. Um, I'll get into that at another time. But we used to watch these um, VHSs that were Nest, the production company, history. Yes. And there are still songs like I could probably still sing word for word the song about Benjamin Franklin discovering electricity. But give us a little um, bar, just a little bar of it. Sing a tune. It'll come to me in in a second. But while that is, I'll I'll continue with it. There's a one about the Revolutionary War, and there was snippets of this movie that played out when I was reading this book, especially like certain things like um, because the and I actually thought about it. I was like, I don't think my mom still has them, but I was like, I kind of want to see if I could find them on YouTube or something. Um, did you guys ever watch those? Because it was like they had like Bible stories, and then they had like historical. So it was like. Um, Benjamin Franklin, the Revolutionary War, it, uh, Gettysburg. It was like the famous American kind of history. I mean, it was like Nest Entertainment. Anyways. Did you remember the song? Not yet, but I will. Um, <laughs> I read like halfway through the summary. <laughs> I know. It'll, it'll come, because it's one of those songs that I, I, I watch those VHSs so much that it's like in your head. And then all of a sudden you'll remember it and you're like this recess of memory. Um <laughs> Yeah, it, it'll come. If not, I'll have to make a little video that we can post on stories of me singing it. Love it. I love that oh too. My gosh. I love that for sure. Yeah. All righty. Well, um, before we get into our own tangents, we're gonna jump into uh, this book here. Let's dive in. All okay. right. Here we go. <laughs> the Gentle Rebel. So the book opens and we are encountering the character Julie Sampson mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Who, who lives in Philadelphia with her uncle Aaron Sampson and she lives above her fa- her deceased father's cartography shop. He was a recently tra- deceased. Recently deceased, yeah. He was a cartographer. He basically like gave he basically like split the business between his daughter Julie and his brother, Aaron, who he would, did not have a good relationship with. But that, I mean, that to me seems like a normal thing that probably would have happened in this time period. Like, why would you give your 
young daughter full reign of your business in the 1700s. I sure. That seems like anti, like non countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, you get the idea that Aaron Sampson is just a really terrible person. Yeah. And um, has device devised a kind of wicked plot for Julie's life, wherein she becomes his wife and they run this cartography shop together and he's pursuing her in that way, but not in a good way at all. Like pursuing her, but like extremely negatively. So much so that her, she feels her last resort and she would, I mean, yeah, her last resort is to run away. Literally (laughs) run away. Run away. And her plan is to go to England because her mother who died when she was like a young girl has a sister who lives in England mm-hmm. and like, they were good. Her mother and her sister were really close. Like they wrote often throughout her life. And she remembers her, her sister writing after her mother or her aunt writing after her mother had passed away, like asking about her, like, how's Julie, how's my niece? So yeah. she's like, you know what? I have some money saved up. I'm going to try to get a catch boat. I'm going to run away because I'm in Philadelphia. I'm going to escape to New York and try to get a boat and go back to England and find my, go to England and find my aunt. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, put away. Yeah, go for it. So um, this is why, so when, when we need this character, she's literally not mentioned on the back of the book whatsoever. Like no. not a mention. She's not a Winslow, so I don't know she if that's why. She's the main female character of this novel, though. <laughs> main female character. And so basically then um, it's she, because before she decides to, to run away, she does go to a local pastor who basically tries to, like, help but can't really because the law is basically on um, her uncle's side. So meaning, like, as Madeline said, the only thing she can do is run away. So she's running away, and while she... Um, is uh, running away. She's in, I think she's in New York at that point, um, where she, because um, she's has her money, she has a plan. Like she was, she's a very calculated person. Her father also taught her how to be a photographer, so she's very um, savvy, and I think she's pretty smart for the fact that she's fifteen, maybe sixteen. She's young. not. Yeah, yeah she's young. Um, she's, and so while she's in, where I think she's maybe just eighteen. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so while she's in New York, she um is she's staying at an inn, and in the middle of the night, the innkeeper comes in, and basically she finds out there are wanted posters all over the colonies. <clears throat> it's like seventeen seventy five at this point. Um, so there's posters all with with a hand drawn like sketch of her, and so he's basically like, I want money, and he wants like twenty pounds or whatever and she's like well what if I give you that and you can just let let me go so then she runs away from this inn and she basically starts disguising herself as a boy she makes her way to Boston because she realizes at this point there's no way she's gonna be able to get on a ship because everybody knows about her and she's just concerned even as disguised as a boy the people are gonna know her so she's just trying to get as far away from Philadelphia as possible yeah so she makes her way to Boston Runs runs out of money yep and it's winter in Boston and winter in Boston is no joke, and it is very, very cold. And she basically, like, uses – she tries to make money on the side, doesn't really make it. And then basically her kind of first part of the book ends with her literally laying down in the snow 
and being like, you know what? I'm too weak. I'm too tired. I don't have any to get up and leave. So she's like in the snow in Boston. And that's where her kind of first segue ends. Um, but now, but now she doesn't look anything like, like a girl. She's fully dressed like a boy and everything she has in her possession is reminiscent of what a boy would care. Um, so then we jump to meeting the character that was mentioned on the back of the book, Nathan Winslow, who's the elder brother of Caleb Winslow mm-hmm. and um, the son of Adam and Molly Winslow. Son yeah. of Adam and Molly Winslow. Thanks, Morgan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they live in Virginia. Lexington. And, um, they are um, for fur trappers, but also like iron. Their dad works in like iron steel making or steel yeah. working. Or He's steel a man of many, many skills. Anyways, so we find out early on the more the important things here to note is that Adam Winslow, the father, sides with these new patriot ideas that are political ideas that are bubbling in um, the colonies, and his younger son, his youngest son, Caleb, agrees with him. Yes. And Nathan disagrees and mm-hmm. sides with what we would call the Tory idea or the loyalists to um, the British crown. So there's definitely some butting of heads that happens there. Um, basically what happens is their dad decides to, he's really busy at his steel, whatever he does for his job. And he's really busy with that. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he's side gigs with this fur trapping and it's really um, profitable for him. Um, so he basically says, okay, you boys, Nathan and Caleb, you will do this delivery of the furs. And then this is, is essentially go up to Boston because his half brother, Charles Winslow lives in Boston. He's like, you'll stay with your uncle and you'll do this delivery side of the fur trapping for me. Cause I'm super busy down here. And it'll also be a great way, you know, for you to take part of the family business and grow up. And because when you're 17 in 1775, you're a full grown man. Full grown. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. You so, are. um, is probably potentially a quarter or a half over, depending on <laughs> exactly like you better be a full right. grown man by exactly. 17. So, um, they they go they go to Boston. It's freaking cold, and they're it's literally going. So, let's paint a picture, okay? Have you oh, ever been on a road trip in modern day America? Yes, absolutely. Imagine that in the 1700s, 1770s. And it is the fall. And basically, they're going from Virginia the whole way up to Boston in a wagon with horses and also like a bunch of furs. So it is a treacherous, treacherous trip and takes them weeks to get there, literally weeks. Um, and they come to Boston in the middle of a blizzard. And from there, um, they get to uh, Uncle's house and they're all like, oh, we didn't think you would make it through this blizzard. So clearly, there's already a point and um, Caleb definitely sleeps during the journey. And so Nathan's kind of like, you know what? I'm the man here. And this is my little brother, even though they're not that far apart. And um, cause he's like 15, I think. And Nathan oh. is 17. So um, anyways, so yeah. Madeline just looked up the directions from Virginia to Boston. From Lexington, Lexington Virginia, Virginia to... Is this in 1770s or right now? Lexington, no. Massachusetts. Are we sure they're from Lexington, Virginia? They kept yeah. calling them Virginians. I know they're from Virginia, but Lexington, Virginia is like yeah. in the middle. 
nowhere Virginia. Would it, Lexington, Virginia in 1775 would have been the Wild West, would have been the back country. Well, but there, remember there, there, there was all that talk about them being like backwards? Hold on, let me look. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're from Lexington, Virginia. They're probably closer to the Maryland border. First blood, Lexington. Are they from Lexington? That's I'm, crazy. Are you looking? Okay. Well, if they are from Lexington, as Odette says, and honestly, she's usually right about this type That's of thing, true. so we should just go with that. I mean, isn't there yeah. also a Lexington, Massachusetts, where like there was a yeah, Lexington, California. Yeah. Um, but Lexington, Virginia, is 640 miles from Boston. On like, if you're driving on 81. <laughs> So in 1775, yike, that would have taken forever. That would have taken 81 didn't exist. The boroughs are barely a thing. Yeah. I mean, Lexington, Virginia in 1775, I don't know about that. That would have been like the back country. So I don't know that to be fair, it had not been Lexington, but um I just, that one section said Lexington, but it's not saying the state. So. Anyways, well. What is Lexington, Massachusetts to Boston? Well, well, they're from Virginia, though. They are from Virginia. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. We know that. We just we don't did. know if it's oh, Lexington. Oh, I got what you're saying. Anyways, okay. That was a tangent. Anyways, yes. it was going to be a long trip, regardless of whether it was 640 miles or not. Or not. It was a long trip. So they, they arrive in Boston and basically Charles Winslow is like, okay, now that you're here, they're, they're going to stay there. Basically, they're going to stay there until the summer, I think. They're not just going to drive 600 right. miles and then leave the next weekend once they trade their furs. Here's our furs. They're going to stay there for like six months. Yes. Um, as you would. That's what you, yeah. I was about to say. <laughs> so he's like, well, you're here. I'm going to put you to work. So they start working for... Um, their uncle's business and you get this idea that like something happened in a previous book that we didn't read between like Adam and Charles and there's like a rift in their family and Charles has one side of the Winslow biz family business and Adam has this different side of the Winslow family business yeah. and they don't really like commingle at all right. so there's some weirdness there um I think one of the first thing that happens is Paul Winslow Charles's son takes Nathan to a big ball in Boston mm -hmm. Like go weekend they're there. Yeah, this this ball, this big fancy schmancy ball in Boston, and introduces him. Paul introduces him to this woman that he's been like quasi courting, named Abigail Howland, and like Nathan is like immediately smitten with her. Again, he's seventeen years old. Immediately, immediately smitten yeah. with her. Lightning bolt. Um, real quick, I just googled it. How long does it take to to go two hundred miles by horse? They potentially say um, it would take around four days if it was summer and if your horse was able to go four miles an hour. So that's assuming you would be riding horseback versus pulling a wagon. So it would take weeks to get there. Wow. Good one. Thanks. Um, not fun. Treacherous. Very treacherous. Everything was treacherous though in the 1700s. <laughs> that's true. So Abigail Howland, basically that first, that ball, she, I mean, you, you get the impression that she is not, I mean, She's a in the lightest terms, she's a massive flirt, yes. and she string and she has no qualms about stringing boys along. Multiple men along, nor does no she have qualms about them knowing that she's stringing multiple men right. along. So she's like, okay, why would you? Yeah, I don't, like um, obviously she knows she's beautiful, and that's an issue for her. Yeah. So um, in also, her, as far as in her relationships, yes. and she carries herself amongst other people. 
Absolutely. I was going to say one caveat here is it should be noted that originally Nathan's plan is going to be a minister. So that's kind of his goal oh, yeah. is that he be a minister. And so literally the first time that, that he, him and Abigail meet, she, they basically go out to the porch and they're like making out. And he, she's like, wow, you kiss well for a yeah. minister. So like that's kind of setting the tone for their quote unquote quasi flirtation. Well, Yes. As we would call it now in 2023, a situationship. So it's not a relationship. 100%. Well, but also to note, he literally gets drunk and yeah. then is making out with Paris. So, mm -hmm. like, not, you're not. For the first time ever. He's just met her a couple yeah. hours ago. You're not setting yourself up. He's never drank before. The next day, wakes up and thinks, well, I've, I'm courting her, obviously. We're courting now. We're courting. Again, he's 17 years old. And at 17, 17. So um, thus begins the strangest courtship you've ever read about, ever. Yes. <laughs> um, but in the midst of that, uh, he's working for his uncle Charles. Caleb is, his younger brother Caleb is like starting to go to these Sons of Liberty meetings yes. at Sam Adams's house mm -hmm. and is clash getting into this crowd that Nathan is like, hey, this is really dangerous. Like yeah. you could get hung for this type of stuff yeah. um men have been hung for less yes. and you probably should not be attending these meetings anymore because i promised mom and dad that i would take care of you right yes and he um, was like i must go nathan yeah <laughs> um, um caveat to you that i tag on to here madeline so um yeah. while caleb is with the son's liberty not only is nathan quote unquote quote unquote courting abigail um, he is also hanging out with British officers and like getting to know them. There's one in particular that he takes. They kind of become good friends. Um, and he's basically like, cool. Oh, yeah. No, Knox yes. is, uh, Knox is he's, okay. he's American. What's his name? John? John Pitcairn. Pitcairn, yeah. And so basically like he goes out drinking with them and he like hangs out with them, talks to them. And um, John basically helps um uh Caleb with this whole or excuse me Nathan and tells him about Caleb like hey you should be aware that like these things are happening like he's with the rebellion you need to watch out um so the one night what was his name Pakayan Pit Karen Pit Karen tells um Nathan hey listen he like pulls him aside and he because because like basically Nathan's out in British society in Boston with Abigail is basically, you know, but also she's courting Paul and like some British officers at the same time. And so the one night, um, Pekayan, what's Pit Karen. Pit Karen. <laughs> Karen. I don't know why that's so hard. He literally pulls Nathan aside from a group and says, Hey, um, I hear that your brother's going to a sense of liberty, liberty meeting. Like it could get bad. Like you probably should go like take him out of it. And so while he's on the way there, he trips over a boy in the snow. A bump. A large protrusion. Covered in snow. Covered in snow. Covered and in he snow. digs it up and it's a human person. Yeah. <laughs> and so he basically rescues um, Julia dressed as a boy. Julia's well, later, later on she tells him that her name is Laddie Smith which feels like the most famous. Well it's because he's like what's your name lad? He said, what's yes. your name, Lad? And she goes, Laddie. 
Laddie Smith. Yes. Smith. <laughs> you said the fact that he didn't like question it, like, you know, anyway. Well, but it even said in the book, like, like he, he noticed, noticed the hesitation, hesitation but he was yeah. like, eh, I'm not going to push, whatever. Yeah. Like, no reason. It's the 1700s. Everyone has a, a secret. Everyone's so, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So Nathan ends up not going and basically saving Laddie slash Julia's life um, and like feeding and like keeping him warm. And like, he's a very fragile petite boy because obviously he's a 15 year old girl <laughs> um and so and at one point Nathan's like oh, I should have went and got my brother but you know what like this young man would have died so um it's true though <laughs> no he would have that's <laughs> the person the human yeah. would have died like that's absolutely true so um then basically um the next thing that happens of significance because there's a lot of de this book is very detailed um so the next thing of significance is that the next day or two days later nathan does go to the meeting and basically pulls caleb out of the meeting and is very much like he makes a whole scene he literally like yelled at sam adams and like paul revere and like all these historical characters that you read like this is their meeting and caleb's a part of it and he's decided he's going to be a patriot and um uh nathan pulls him out and caleb's like real pissed but Nathan's basically like, look, I'm going to write down, like, if I write down and tell him what you're doing, like, we're both going to get sent back. So can you just like chill, bro? Um, and then him and Laddie meet and become friends, Caleb and Laddie. Yes. So uh, the next thing, moving along, because we don't, we've got to get to the, the meet here. There's so much it's that happens. <laughs> That's a lot. This we're literally in part one. Literally, there's three parts. We're in part one. Oh my God. Um, so basically what happens to wrap this section, to wrap part one up is Laddie gets, Laddie, Julie, gets hired as a clerk mm -hmm. for Charles Winslow because yeah. Nathan finds out like, hey, this kid can read and write really well and is really good with numbers. Mm -hmm. um, and so she becomes a clerk mm -hmm. and starts working for this business and um, is doing really well mm -hmm. and is living in like the business office, the warehouse kind of office space. And Caleb continues to hold his Patriot feelings and ends up um, getting caught up in the first battle, mm -hmm. quasi battle of the revolution, which is Lexington and Concord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I think that kind of wraps section one. One. But what happens at Lexington and Concord is, well, at Lexington specifically, um, Caleb, Nathan finds out, like Caleb leaves in the middle of the night. Yes. Nathan wakes up the next morning. He's like, where's Caleb? And then like Laddie goes and finds this kid who Caleb always hung out with. And he's like, where's Caleb? He's like, I can't tell you. He's like, tell me where Caleb yeah. is. And basically finds, Laddie finds out that Caleb went with these um, Patriot Rebel. Minute, minute men to yes. go wait out these British troops that were going to come um, walk past through Lexington. Goes, she runs and finds Nathan. She's like, I know where Caleb is. He's in danger. They like run and catch up with Caleb before any fighting starts in Lexington, but then they get caught literally in the crossfire. Mm -hmm. um, and Caleb mm -hmm. gets shot and dies. Doesn't die there. Um, they take him off the battlefield and he dies in his Uncle Charles's home. 
um, before he, he's literally 15. Mm -hmm. Before he dies, he, may, he makes Nathan promise him that Nathan will fight in the place. fight that Caleb is not able to fight. Mm -hmm. And Nathan promises to do so. I think if we have learned one thing from <laughs> books, movies, it's that making a deathbed, deathbed promise. promise to someone is a terrible idea. Yes. This is not a good, just don't do it. Help them. What do you mean help them? <laughs> just, if you know, you know, anybody, 1995 Sense Sensibility. Oh, that knows. Oh, that knows. Yeah. Yes. Knows. Encourage them, be there, support them. Don't. I feel like making someone a deathbed promise is a terrible idea. Okay, so in this scenario, are you saying as the person who is alive while the deathbed promise is being mm -hmm. put out there, that you as the person who's going to live should say, so hard pass on that, I don't accept your deathbed promise. Well, just say something else. Okay, Odette. I refuse Let's to make you this deathbed oh, promise. I'll just do, here's that one. Okay. Madeline, I'll be the one who's dying. You'll be the one who's dying. Madeline is on her deathbed. I'm like, Madeline, I'm so sorry that you're dying. What do you say? <laughs> promise me. Promise me. You'll avenge my death. Promise me that you will take all of my clothes to goodwill. <laughs> promise me. Madeline. <laughs> Madeline, I, I will do what I can. No, promise me. You have to promise <laughs> In this scenario, your Love brother, you. like, I understand deathbed promises can get tricky and can. She understands. But like in that moment, you, you're the emotions of your, this person who you were close to mm -hmm. was dying. I don't know how you just like. I'm saying you need to have foresight. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Going to no. this knowing that my dumb brother might ask me to do something stupid for him. And I'm dying and I won't be able to say no. And I need this to is also the 1700s where medical interventions and all those kind of things weren't at the level that they are at in 2023. So inherently it's basically they, they all knew that they, they were surprised that he lived after he got shot. And then the right. fact that like he was able to even speak and that kind of thing. Um, so I think, yeah. So, and also Nathan at this point still was not a patriot, like still did not care. The only thing he now wants is like to avenge his brother's death. Yes. Listen, these three women in 2023, us sitting here, yeah. are oh, going to putting ourselves into the shoes of two brothers living in 1775. We're good just, one. we're going to have one. a hard time. That's a really good point. Also, so, we also don't know what it's like to be in that situation in the 1700s and your dying brother asks you to do something for him. You're exactly. I don't have a brother at all. I've never even had a brother. So I literally cannot really. I'll tell you right all. now, as a sister who has a brother, if my brother in the 1700s was dying, and what about what about in 2023? Morgan, you just said we have to move on. <laughs> well, she said if he she was dying in the 1700s, I'm saying why couldn't you? Wouldn't it more feasible to imagine him dying now? <laughs> why did why do you have to 50 years ago? Why do you have to imagine you time travel back to the 1700s <laughs> and then he dies? <laughs> Okay, I mean, here's the thing, Morgan. I know that you say that, but I would not feel as strongly about saying no to someone's death wish. I have a hard time if someone has a birthday wish not fulfilling it. So, like, I would have a hard time if someone had a death wish. We don't know what Nathan's strengths were. I don't. 
Oh, wow. Maybe he had harmony in his top strengths. Whoa. Good one. It does seem like he might, because he was always trying to keep the peace. You know what I'm saying? You know? know? Okay. Anyways. um, Okay. We will get stuck right there, baby. And we won't have to move forward. (laughs) We'll stay here forever. (laughs) (laughs) So after Caleb passes, then... Because Laddie, and as I mentioned, Laddie and Caleb have become very close. And Caleb actually shares a lot of like really personal stuff. They become kind of best friends of sorts. So then Laddie and Nathan take Caleb's body back to Virginia um, to bury him at their parents, at um, Caleb and Nathan's parents' house. So they have this kind of extended stay. um, This funeral. This funeral there. Laddie's kind of welcomed into their family. But then off they go back to Boston. Wait, the reason why they go back to Boston though is because basically Nathan tells his dad that now he's an American patriot. Like now he's going to like be part of the, he's like, he's like, I'm going to, and his dad's like, all right, well, let's go talk to Washington because his no, dad he says, what he says is I promised Caleb I would fight for him. Yes. And yes. his dad is like, oh, so you believe the cause now? He's like, he's like no. no, I don't know what I believe, but I promise Nathan I'd do it. And his dad's like, hmm, Caleb. Seem like a very good reason to join a revolution. And Come talk to George Washington. Well, and Adam had fought, the father had fought in the French um, Indian War. Alongside and so, Washington. Huh? What did you Alongside say? Washington. Yes. They're friends. So Adam Washington, Washington are friends conveniently. Conveniently. So he gets me like, come with me. I think personally, he wanted Washington to talk Nathan out of fighting, in my opinion, is because he basically like, I think he wanted, I think Adam wanted Nathan to have to tell George Washington why he wanted to fight and George Washington be like, that's not a reason, you know? So anyways, so they go there and basically Washington said, it's like, hey, do you want to be a spy? And Nathan was like, okay. Yeah, he's like, well, that's Boston. You clearly are inundated with society like you should go back to boston and so basically they're like we have no choice so laddie and nathan hightail it quickly quote unquote um back to boston as quick as ones can go and basically then um nathan is feeding information but they don't write anything down it's verbal and laddie gets involved too from his he's the middle him bring out in british british society in boston because now it's like there's all these rumors. After Lexington and Concord, it's not just rumors. Like, they know a revolution is coming. So basically, the, the British um, forces in the cities are trying to figure out what to do. So it's like Nathan's involved with them. Him and what what's the guy's name? They're working with Henry Knox. Yes, Henry Knox. But Picarin and um, uh, Nathan are still, like, friends. So they still, like, talk and that kind of thing. Um, the next big thing that happens, though, is Breed's Hill which is a small skirmish that occurred, truly, that occurred right before Bunker Hill. Everybody knows yes. about Battle Bunker Hill. But yes. Breed's Hill happened first. So Breed's Hill happens. Um, basically, Nathan and Laddie both are fighting with the other Patriots. And at the end of Breed's Hill, they're like, well, I guess we're fighting for the Americans now. <laughs> and they basically, Henry Knox, who is, I mean, ends up being a general yes. before the, by the end of the war, but he's not a general at this point. He's like a commander or something. Um, they're basically in his, I don't know what to call it, military unit. Yes. So he's like, I want both of you in my military unit. And uh, you're, you're both privates now. Boom. He finds out, he finds out eventually that Laddie, can 
draw maps. And he's like, all right, I'm promoting you. You're now sergeant. Sergeant. Yeah. Sergeant. And Nathan's still a private, which is hilarious. Yes. But Nathan and Laddie are now like, Nathan, it is obvious that Laddie has taken Caleb's place, quote unquote. You can never take a place of a brother who dies, I'm sure. Especially when you're a girl pretending to be a boy and you're well, in love. What I'm saying is like, relationally, like yeah. he's taken responsibility yeah. for Laddie. And like, he feels like I'm the older brother here. I have to take care of Laddie. Yeah. Um, so what happens? Um, okay, so then the next big thing that happens, we should also say that when, um, that no one really knows, it's kind of hinted at at this part of the book that Molly, which is Nathan and Caleb's mother, kind of thinks that Laddie might be a girl because she could do not, It is definitely not hinted at. Yeah, I don't think it's hinted You don't find out. Molly does know. Before they leave Virginia, Molly knows that Laddie is pretending to be. Yeah, I just thought the way that they wrote the description of the way she hugged Laddie, I thought it was hinting that she was. Oh, maybe it was that. I didn't get that. That's true. But at the end of the book, she says, like, I knew when I hugged you. Like, I hugged you for the sole purpose. I thought, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the next thing that happens is. I mean, yeah, you would know. Yeah. Um, So the next big thing that happens is that Laddie gets sick. So they're basically as they're they're traveling, um, and there's a lot that goes on, which like the details. Well, need to get they're going to Fort Ticonderoga yes, to get weapons. Henry Knox's famous mission to raid Fort Ticonderoga and get the guns. It is famous. You know anything about the Revolutionary War? Henry One Knox's crazy mission to storm Fort Ticonderoga and steal all their guns and cannons and then get them all the way back to Boston. And crazy. Nobody said he could do it, but he did. But he did. Things are treacherous. And basically Laddie comes down with a severe case of pneumonia. And so they take Laddie to a local town on the way. And that's where we meet David. No, Daniel. Daniel and um, mother Sarah. Susan. Sarah. Sarah. And they are Quakers. They're so Quakers. They say thee, thy, and thou, and they call everybody friend. Yes. So we're going to say And they're also pacifists. So they're like, not about this. But they're like, well, we'll take care they're of also what? Pacifists. Oh, yeah. So, so basically, though, very, very early on, within the first half chapter of her being there, um, they realize that Laddie indeed is not a boy. Laddie is a girl. And basically, Laddie. they is no laddie no laddie <laughs> laddie is a lady and basically though what they assume is that that she's a wanton woman a loose woman loose a woman. loose woman who lives with troops to <clears throat> quote unquote entertain them i'll say that um because that was a thing yep it was a thing that was a thing 100 that was that is not what laddie was doing but that was a thing so actually disguised so basically sure. then Nathan leaves and he goes on his way with uh, not with General Knox to or Commander Knox. They go over to Fort Ticonderoga. And um, in the meantime, Laddie gets better, recovers, and then becomes pretty close to uh, Daniel and Sarah. Um, so she, and- I mean, she's there for like a month yes, or more than a month. Like she I know she's a female very early on, so she feels like she can let her guard down. Right. She feels like she yeah. can be truly herself, talk truly, to them, truthfully be with these people. So um, this bond, and he then before she leaves, one night he does kiss her. He does, and kiss she's her. like really conflicted because she's like, I 
have I'm already like I've already established that I'm in love with Nathan, but like, but it's this, this is really those goals. She's told no, no souls that she loves Nathan. She just has established to herself that she right. loves yeah, yeah, yeah. She hasn't told anybody. Yes. You're right. No, it's just her own personal. makes it very, very, very clear that he likes her. And like, he's also going to be a, um, I, I, he, his goal is to be a minister. And she does talk about how handsome he is. And she's like, kind of like, like, oh my God, this guy. And also he's the only guy who's known her as a woman um, versus Nathan only knows her. And she basically is like, She's kind of resigned that Nathan is going to be unrequited love because truly. Oh, sorry. What'd you say? Oh, I just said because y'all said Nathan thinks she's a man, and I said he thinks she's a thirteen-year-old boy. So yeah, that's how he knows her. And um, in part, I will say too that um, uh, she's also conflicted about Daniel's uh, feelings of affection because he kind of makes it known, very, very known, beyond just kissing her. He, like, talks to her about stuff. Mm -hmm. She is, because she's like, Nathan will never forgive me because I've lied about who I am. So in her mind, it's going to be unrequited love. So she's kind of like, but do I, like, go for this guy? You know, like, she's not sure. Um, But then, basically, Nathan comes back. So we got to keep moving here. Okay, so basically... He does come back, and they're like, "Now y'all need to help us get these guns back to Boston." And friend Dan is like, "I'm a Quaker. I'm not, not going to do it. I'm a Quaker." And Henry Knox is like, "Oh, Laddie, you convince him." <laughs> and Laddie does them. So she does. Wiles. And he's like, "You know what? I wanted to stay close to you anyways, so I'm just going to help you with the guns." Um, so he ends up going back to Boston with them, helping them get the guns yes. out um, of wherever they are i don't know where they are anymore and they go back to boston and they're basically it's leading up to what is the battle the siege of i don't know it's a big one i can't remember the name of it but the next few chapters are leading up to this well and in the middle of all this nathan as we mentioned is awkwardly courting abigail and she is absolutely manipulating him so at one point, have gotten into fights over her already. But at one point, she basically convinces him to come back to, yes. um, and he gets arrested. So then, Laddie basically he's going to get executed the next day. He's literally in jail to get executed. And so Laddie goes basically and dresses as a woman, and goes and basically rescues him, and um, as dressed as a woman, and tells Nathan that she's Laddie. The boy disguised as a woman, but that's actually who she is. As <laughs> so she's a woman disguised as a boy a disguised, disguised as a woman. woman. Yes. Very Shakespeare. It's very Shakespeare. What's happening here. They get out. She's, Laddie's literally said Abigail. Like, oh, literally, wow. you don't care anything for him if you were literally, oh, sent a note telling him, I just want to see you so bad. And he literally risked his life to yeah. come see you and would have been hung for it if she hadn't sprung him loose. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and he um, still he still is not over her. He's still like he's still pining over this. He's seventeen or eighteen at this point, and um, so then yeah, um, yeah. So then, um, basically, um, not long after that, um, because also Abigail realizes that her family is probably not going to be well off anymore because. They're like stories. Yeah. So she basically decides that in order to gain quote unquote safety for herself, she's going to tell Paul, let's pause on our 
Trist for now. And we're going to, um, and she basically wants to be with Nathan and then he proposes. They're going to get married. Um, and in the middle of all this, then there's the battle, which the Americans win. do some pretty heavy damage to the British army, the, right? The American win. Yes. Yes. Um, so, then, um, so then there's the engagement. And then um, what happens is Molly has come back and is Molly and Adam are in Boston at this yes, point. Because Adam has decided to lead part of Washington's army. He's going to help. Molly reveals to uh, Laddie that she, in fact, knows that she's a woman. And Laddie reveals, reveals to her that she is, in fact, madly in love with her son, Nathan. And Molly's like, oh, honey. The whole story. And she does that. Um, before Molly had left Sarah and Daniel, she told them her whole story as to why she was pretending to be a boy. And they were like, oh, well, we thought you were this basically entertainer for the army. And she's like, no, no, I'm not. Like, they actually think I'm a boy, you know, kind of thing. So now Molly and Daniel both know. And meanwhile, Daniel keeps proposing. Like, hey, I want to marry you. And she's like, no, I'm not. Um, and so then. What is the thing that leads to her being revealed as a woman to Nathan? What? Yeah. What is it? What is the? What, what is this? This is what it is. So basically, oh, um, oh, Aaron comes back. Aaron comes back. Like how Aaron her is, she's in a store and she's uh, as with dressed Nathan. as Laddie with Daniel. Nathan. No, with Nathan. She's with Nathan. Nathan. Yes, and she's basically like drawing out a map and. Aaron hears her, her, her uncle hears her voice and realizes that it's her. Basically drags her out of there. Yeah. And yes. Nathan's like, what are you doing? Like, get your hands off him. And, and he's like, this isn't a him. This is my niece, Julie Sampson, whatever. Yes. It's revealed. It's all revealed. But she ends up going back to, um, she runs off. Yes. And he's like, well, I'm coming back for you because like legally I know where you are now. I know you're here, whatever. I have the authority to like take you back because I'm your legal guardian. Waiting. In the meantime, now Nathan knows that Laddie is a girl named Julie, and basically, then Molly makes it her mission to showcase Julie as a girl to because they don't really like Abigail because they're Nathan and Abigail are gay. Why would they like Abigail? Because she's literally a brat. She's so concocts this game. She's Mm -hmm. like, listen, there's this big ball. You're going to go to this ball with Daniel. Nathan's going to be there with Abigail. He's going to hair it. He's going to put on a nicest tracksuit. Gonna get your hair check hair toss check your nails. Nope. No track suit. You're gonna you're gonna wear a fine a fine dress. So she's like, you're gonna look like a woman, and he's gonna know she has a woman because he's like he's stuck. He literally in your mind, he's you're still a boy. That's where he's at. Yeah. <laughs> so he does this it works. womanly features. Okay. Mother knows best. It works. And they end up kissing. But then it's weird because Nathan like kisses her but then like abigail sees and daniel's there too and it's this whole thing and Paul sees it's a whole thing and abigail and nathan are engaged so basically abigail punishes him and it's like very weird for weeks on end and then there's a dinner there's a final showdown at the wins charles winlow's house at a dinner yeah. where where everybody's at oh, including julie up. yeah paul stands up and is like you know what nathan i gotta tell you something about abigail and literally spews all this crap that she's done that we've all known that she's done, yeah. but like Nathan couldn't see it. And then Nathan like storms out and leaves and they're all like, blah, 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 ah, storm out. Well, but then the big reveal though is 
that Abigail is the one who basically set him up to get captured. No, she didn't set out to get captured. She told Paul to take a pause and then Paul set him up to get captured by right. the to be executed. And because he wanted Abigail for himself and Abigail just basically wanted him because she thought it would be a better option, like for temporarily to be, to save Yeah, no, no. And she was so, planning to Paul all along. The last two chapters are kind of a Julie hiding out at um, David and Molly's house until David, her uncle Adam and Molly excuse me yeah Adam and Molly's house sorry she's waiting for Aaron to get back because he had to go back to Philadelphia and basically get paperwork in order who knows how long that's going to take so she's like waiting that out um and she's having these like actually like having all these encounters with the Lord which is yeah. pretty cool the book kind of ends with like uh Laddie or Julie having these encounters with the Lord and then Nathan coming back and being like I, mean, I had this encounter with the Lord too. <laughs> and then like, there's this like weird kind of ending where Aaron kind of storms in and takes Julie and he's like, nope, nothing else you can do. And Nathan's like, wait, she wouldn't be your legal guardian if she was a married woman. And then he's like, you should marry me. And she's like, absolutely not. You jerk. <laughs> like, no. I don't want to marry you. He's like, pick me. I'll marry you. I'll marry you. I'm wanting to marry you all along. And was like, ooh, ooh, put me in touch. <laughs> um, and, but basically they have this like fight, quasi fight. And she's like, I don't want, I don't want you to want to marry. I don't want you to marry me because like it would help me. I want you to marry me because you love me. And he's like, no, I do love you. I realize I do love you. And then they get married right there because Daniel conveniently has a marriage license in his coat because he, he was going to use her case. Case. Julie changed her mind. And he hadn't filled in their names yet. For some <laughs> he filled in her name. He hadn't filled in his name. <laughs> So um, they Daniel marries them. Has kiss. And as long as they both shall live. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> that's the end. And then Nathan goes off to fight with Washington. Well, it's a, presumably. We don't know. We didn't read the next book. We wonder what happens next. <laughs> we wonder what. We wonder what happens next. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's so as you can see, there was a lot of details. There was a lot of things we didn't even cover in this book, but that's the general rebel. Also, for the record, the reason why it's called The Gentle Rebel is because uh, Commander Knox at one point talks about how gentle Laddie slash Julia is and says, oh, it's uh, there. He's, he's a, a rebel, gentle. but a gentle rebel. Yeah, yeah exactly. Battle drop. <laughs> Which is interesting that the title is about Julia, but she's not on the back cover at all. Very interesting. Yes. Interesting. All righty. Are we ready? Yes. Next, next section. Here we go. Morgan's recommended reads. All right, Morgan, what do you got for us? Okay. So I could only think, I usually like to recommend three books. I could only think of one personally. So I did a little bit of a phone a, phone a friend situation in with some of these recommendations. Um, the one that I want to recommend, pulling out the time period, Revolutionary War, um, but then also the um, kind of series with a family you can kind of follow from one generation of the family down to a few generations. Not as many as the House of Winslow. This, <laughs> this series only has four books in it. Um, but it is the Heart and Dreams series. And specifically, the first book is called Catherine, Heart of Freedom by Cameron Doki. Um, this is actually technically a YA book. I first read it when I was 12 years old. I've read it many times since then. 
Um, and it is about this young girl who the, the point of the series is that there's this hope chest that she gets in the first book and it gets kind of passed down to all of these other women and their love stories and whatever. And she helps this young Patriot who is fiery and always in trouble. And she helps him um, and they get together in the end. That's a very simplified plot, but it's, it's wonderful. And the writing is sweet and charming. And I love that book. Um, so that's Catherine Heart of Freedom by Cameron Doki. Madeline shot me a couple of wrecks because this time period is more her jam. <laughs> um, so one of them was Pole Dark by Winston Graham. Um, many of you might be familiar with Pole Dark from the show. Maybe not many of you. I don't know. But Amy feel- Turner, if you know, you know. There it is. <laughs> um, but it's set maybe a slightly before... Um, but also, no, it takes in, place directly after the American Revolution. Directly after. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought it was before. But um, but it is in, in England. England. Yes, but like Cornwall, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and Madeline was saying that she thought the writing style, Gilbert Morris's writing style, was similar to Winston Graham's it writing had style. It reminded me of it. So there you go. So if you were here for the writing style and the time period, but maybe just maybe a, check out yeah. some Winston Graham. Pull dark. Another series with a lot of books. I don't think 40, but that series also that has series a lot of books. does have a lot. I think I think there's like 15. There's quite a few. Yeah. Um, Madeline also recommended a book, a Christian fiction book by Tara Johnson called Where Dandelions Bloom. And this is more of the woman having to dress up like a man. In it was also military a, situation. in military civil situation. War. Civil war. Okay, that's what it was. So if that is your jam, which honestly, it's a lot of people's jam. That's the thing. It's a trope in romance. So we're Danny Lines Bloom by Tara Johnson. It's Christian fiction. And it is Christian fiction. Um, and then Ben, as we were literally sitting around here talking <laughs> about our recommended reads, Ben, my husband, Ben, walked through the kitchen where we're recording. And I was like, I can't think of that many recommendations. And he whipped his head around and he goes, 1776 by David McCullough. So that's a nonfiction. <laughs> For sure a nonfiction. For sure nonfiction that Ben has read and he rec- he reads a, a lot of nonfiction. But I've I can I've also read 1776. Okay, Actually, go. I audiobooked it and it's a great read. There you go. I enjoyed it. But that's also again, read. again, full disclosure, I love this time period. Right. And I'm Andrew Buff. So um, and Ben loves Ben loves this time period also. He's a big Revolutionary War, like that era. Um, and he's history buff and a nonfiction guy. So take take these recommendations with a grain of salt. Know yourself. Yeah, know yourself. yourself. Um, also, I'm going to tag a little recommend read on again. Onto this. I have yes. not read this book since I was a child. But the Dear America series was ones that I really loved. Yes. And... Um, the book specifically about the Revolutionary War time period actually told the girls before that we started the recording. I owned a copy. And when I was a kid, I read library books almost exclusively. We would literally take suitcases and I kid you not, fill them up at the library and read them. Like a literal suitcase with wheels. Um, I'm not joking. We would literally check out, I kid you not, we would check out probably 40 to 50 books collectively between me and my siblings every two weeks. I love um, and we would read them. We would absolutely read them. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's before I went to high school. But when I was homeschooled in elementary, middle school, we absolutely did this. Um, I'm pretty sure the librarians were like, "Oh, here this family co- comes again." Um, but anyways, 
um, the book, The Winter of Red Snow. I don't know the author, but it's in the Dear America series. I'm assuming that they're still out there. Um, but anyways, it, and that's definitely YA for sure. And like, so the purpose of those books, if you don't know about the series, is basically they're written in a diary style from a woman's or a young girl's perspective of a who lived during that time period. Um, what'd you say? Not the author is Christiana Gregory. Yes. So if you're looking for that, again, it's not Christian fiction, but the fact that like, it's definitely, a, it's aimed at children. It's YA. I don't know that there would be anything wrong with it. It was more historical fiction than anything. So anyways, that's my little series is fabulous. And I think there's probably a couple of other revolutionary war ones too, but that's the main one that I think of when I think of revolutionary mm -hmm. war as well. Yes. That's a good rack. Okay, cool. Great. Already any other Rex Morgan? Nope. Go for it. Okay, here we go. Odette's relevant research. Okay, y'all. So I could have taken this many ways. And the one thing I decided not to do is go down a path of searching out with Gilbert Morris's war references and revolutionary re references correct. I didn't really think that was worth of my time for the sake of this because I could go down a rabbit trail. I'm also trying to trim down. I've noticed as I've been listening to recordings, sometimes my uh, research second can go on for 15 minutes. So I'm trying to trim that down. <laughs> Um, so the first thing I was interested in is the name Julie, because to me, Julie felt like a more modern name, and I wasn't sure that it was really Revolutionary War time period. But um, <clears throat> the origin is French. Other origins are Roman. Um, Julie is a gender-neutral name of French origin. It is a var variation of Julius, the child of the Roman um, god love. Um, uh, Julie also means youthful and is light is a light and airy choice celebrate a child's, or sorry, excuse me, a baby, a baby's childlike innocence. That was a tongue twister for some reason. Huh. While popular, while more popular for girls, Julie may also be given to boys as an alternative for Julia. Jules? Um, famous people with this name include acclaimed actress Julie Andrews, known for starring roles in the musicals Mary Poppins and uh, The Sound of Music. Huh. We look at popularity, starting in 1880, it was 702 for girls. And the most recent data in 2022 is that it's 1387. So it's like definitely died off since 1880s. Um, for boys, um, it was at a higher peak in 1912. Now it's the 20, no, sorry. In, in 2004 is really when the last time they tracked the name Julie for a boy. And it was at the 22,000 ranking for, for, for popular names for, for boys. So this is more of a popular name. I feel like I feel like it's most common in adult women. I don't know that. I, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't know a lot of babies that are Julie, but I, I feel like. I have a man named Julie. Yeah, true. I never have either. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I met a, yeah. And I've known people who named their kids Julia, um, but I don't know as many people in like today who named their daughters Julie. But anyways, great name. So apparently it was actually relevant as because it, it, it has Roman origins. So it's <clears throat> kind of makes sense. Julius Caesar, those kind of things. Um, it kind of makes sense. So anyways. Um, okay. So the other thing I wanted to look at was um, uh, the, sorry, my internet browsers are <clears throat> very slow. Okay. So the other thing I want to look at was um, uh, basically Sorry, literally my browsers are just spinning, so I'm trying to look at. Oh, <laughs> no! You ever wonder? 
Okay, we're not going to edit this out because this is real time and this is what, what, what happens some days. So I was interested in the, in the photographers. So I was trying to do a history deep dive. And in all honesty, photographers have existed throughout human history for many reasons. Um, and because that was how, even if the maps and things that they developed ended up not being accurate as science developed, maps and creating maps has always kind of been a part of uh, human history. Mm -hmm. um, so... I was thinking, though, have you ever thought to yourself, what would it take, are photographers still a thing, and what would it take to be a photographer now? I'm not going to lie to you. I've never thought that. But <laughs> I'm curious now that you mention it. Okay, so. so truly, I, I've never thought of the profession of photography. I never ever. did either. So, I mean, no. I didn't think it was, a, to be honest, I was surprised that it was still a career choice. Um, so, <clears throat> looking here, so according to the U.S., um, Bureau of Labor Statistics, photographers and photogrammarists um, are a kind of grouped uh, uh, job together. Um, in 2021, the median pay was $68,900 per year or $33.12 an hour. Um, typical entry-level education is a bachelor's degree. Um, the number of jobs in 2021 was $13,400. Um, and... It, according to 2021, it was kind of like there's 3% jobs out there. So it's not really a up and coming career, but it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So you have to have a doctorate degree? No. no a bachelor's. Oh, I thought you said a doctorate. No, a bachelor's. Oh, um, doctor of maps. A doctor <laughs> a cartographist. A cartographer. I'm a cartographer PhD. <laughs> I like doctor of maps. I think that's so fun. Okay. So what do they do? Maps. I know. Um, okay. So what they do is um, they collect, measure, and interpret geographic information in order to create and update maps and charts for regional planning, education, and other purposes. Um, their work environment. Although they spend much of their time in the offices, certain jobs require extensive travel to locations that are being mapped. How to become one. Um, they typically need a bachelor's degree in cartography, geography, um, geomatics, or surveying. I'm out. So I don't think modern day cartographers work a lot with like civil engineers. I would think so. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, similar occupations. Yep. Civil engineers is the first one. Environmental scientists and specialists, forest and conservation workers, geographers, geologic and hydro hydraulic technicians, landscape architects, surveying and mapping technicians, surveyors, and urban and regional planners. There you go. So check it out. While it's obviously not like it was in the 1700s, right. it is something that you can still do if being in maps is uh, an interest of you and you want to study that. It is a thing. I feel like you probably have to find certain colleges you could... What did you say? I said you too could become a cartographer. You could. And the nice thing is there's no age restriction on this. Sometimes some of these jobs in books, there's age restrictions. Like all those military careers. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So then the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, Gilbert Morris. So he is a Christie Award winner, winning author. Um, and sometimes he is cited as Gilbert L. Morris or Gilbert Leslie Morris. He was born on May, 20, uh, uh, May 24th in uh, Forest City, Arkansas. In 1929, he unfortunately passed away in the year 2016. Um, 
and he has three children and um so and grandchildren um he also then wrote so there was the 40 books in the winslow series then there was the winslow breed series which was a tree uh trilogy no trilogy wow that word was hard for some reason of prequels that was about um the reign of henry the eighth the reign of queen mary and the reign of queen elizabeth and then there was the apotomic saga um and that was 10 books Automatics. That's not it. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Apparatus. Okay, there you go. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Apparently, we've heard it three ways. <laughs> um, then they have the. Then he has the the Reno Western Saga, and that oh. has six books. Then he has the Price of Liberty series that has six books, the Far Field series, which has two books, the American Century series, which has seven books. The Wakefield Dynasty series, which has seven books. Good lord, these just keep going. Oh my god, he didn't do anything else. This is all he did was write novels. But (laughs) here's the the thing: you're interested in Jewish history. He has a series for that. You're interested in um, the I don't know um, any kind of American history. The frontier here, like he has books on, on on all series. So this type of literature interest you you don't just have to read the house of winslow series there's lots of options out there and i feel like madeline your face lit up when i said they have a um uh series the winslow breed which is the uh, trilogy of prequels for this so anyway Henry the eighth yes because we had literally been having a conversation yeah. about Henry the eighth right before we started filming the podcast which is really funny um, one last little thing I'll do here, um, and then we can move on to our spoon scale. Um, so I wanted to look up cost of living um, in the 1770s in America. Here's the thing. That was a long rabbit trail that I was not. She wasn't prepared for <laughs> But I did find it in an article <laughs> that talked about, mainly because it was a callback for me to our historical fiction section where I talked about the cost of living a lot. Yeah. But one thing I did find is some... Um, costs of the the salary of George Washington then versus oh. now. So I feel like this is kind of interesting. interesting. Um, so according to the Wall the Wall Street Journal, they have published an article apparently with the estimation of each president's net worth using factors such as land, estimated lifetime savings, and money paid for services. These figures found that Washington's worth to be about. $525 million in today's money, which makes him among the wealthiest of presidents. Sure. His average salary then was $25,000 compared to the average salary at the time, which was using crude conversion around 2,900 or on the high end, $4,925. Washington's salary equaled 2% of the total U.S. budget in 1789. Although he originally refused payment, eventually he accepted the salary. No way. That that's a lot. His salary was two percent of the budget. Oh my lord! Here's the thing, though. I don't know. I mean, obviously our budget is way different, but like, would like, yeah, like compared to like the current president's salary. At, at this stage, like, wonder what percent of the budget, you know what I'm saying? Like, anyways. do we know Do we know that information? Just curious. We don't Did have the to... wall publish that? The Wall Street, yes. Let me look it up. I'm being curious. <laughs> I don't, I really want to know now. Article. 
Oh, here we go. Okay, here's something from the Atlantic. Hold on. That's still a viable thing. Okay, so let's see. It's the vibe. Okay. It does say that, that several presidents lost their fortune after um, throughout history after leaving office. That's not surprising. Yeah. No, I can't find it. I'm so sorry. I'm literally looking at our Maybe if we find something, well, we could just post it in stories when this episode comes out. Good one. I know, fine. Morgan, that we want to um, do that. Unless it pops. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's my uh, research. Um, not related to American Revolutionary War history, because that you can read about in so many places, like the book 1776. Good one. Well, ladies. The spoon scale. The spoon scale. The spoon scale. There it is. All right, ladies. What is our spoon scale for today's episode? Well, generally. Well, Swoon scale. We should tell people in case. Scale in general is um, the swooniness of the book and its characters based on a scale from zero to Colin Firth and Wetcher. Today's category is swooniest founding fathers, obviously. What else would it be? <laughs> we chose the most, we made our parameters the, the five, the, the big five. The big yes. five founding fathers. And those would be George Washington, Ben Franklin, mm -hmm. Alexander Hamilton, John Adams. This is six. One, two, oh. three, four, five, six, seven. This is oh, seven. I'm so sorry. Seven. George Washington, Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. Those were the ones we were choosing from. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because um, depending on your source, there are a lot of uh, men who helped with the founding of America, but we decided to limit it to this subset of founding fathers. The Magnificent Correct. Seven, if you will. Whoa, good one. That was good. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So, and again, this, as you know, we're going to talk about why we chose this particular founding father, why we think it represents the sweetness of the book, and um, what, how we came to our conclusion. We will tie it all back together. You're right. right. Okay. Morgan, do you want to go first? No, I want someone else to go first. <laughs> I, you guys always make me go first. Oh, Jen, it's going to have to be you because yes. I'm still deciding. I'm still deciding. How is that fair? <laughs> oh, okay, fine. If both, I have mine. I oh, just already decided. No, okay, I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> so mine is Benjamin Franklin. Okay. Benjamin Franklin. For I'm going with the overall swooniness of the books. Like the overall book swooniness factor. Okay. Benjamin Franklin, you hear about kind of like broad glance. You're like, he himself, let me, let me start all over. Back up, back up. <laughs> let me start all over. <laughs> okay. Oh, yikes. Okay. Listen. <laughs> okay. So, like, take a broad look. Ben okay. Franklin accomplished a lot of things. He was... Yeah. Um, he had he stood for a lot of good things. Um, he, he the Poor Richard's Almanac. <laughs> he said a lot of good things. Electricity, electricity, chair, bifocals. He was the ambassador to France. No, was no, he? no. Yes, was yeah. he? At one point, yeah. he had. I, I thought that that that's how he had um French lady friends. Can you? not say anything else because <laughs> what you're doing is you're getting ahead of me and ruining my swoon scale. Why are you looking at me? It was Mal and Anna talking. You just said something. Oh, okay? okay. Listen, 
Nobody else said anything. Okay, we're 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 not gonna talk anymore. Okay, so broad scopes are like, wow, this guy is has all this these are good things. These are all good things. Let's take a little closer look. Let's take a little closer look. And they're like, first of all, sorry, bud, not easy on the eyes. <laughs> and then you're like, how many mistresses did this gentleman have? How many French Parisian ladies was he cavorting with? A lot. That is a gray area. <laughs> ben Franklin, you're kind of a sleazebag. But it's, it's <laughs> honestly it's true. <laughs> but it's not untrue. And that's how I felt about this book. I felt like there was moments where I was like, oh, okay, okay. And then I started to dig a little deeper and think about it more. And I was like, you know what? No. I don't like that. It's weird. And I don't think I should think it's romantic. And that's how, that's why I chose Ben Franklin. Okay. I'm done. I'm have, done. You okay. can talk now. Have you decided? Yes. Do you want me to go? Please. Okay. So this was a fun one. Um, this hearkened to me um, for um, the swoon scale that we did last season for the u.s presidents um but so here's the the thing on looks like it's it's a different scale for me so i kind of went the same route that morgan did of thinking about the man holistically so i don't know if i've ever said this on the podcast before but i got my bachelor's degree at james madison university so naturally i had to choose good old jimmy madison um, and while i was doing some research one of the reasons why i mean i think for me as as morgan mentioned he just like Ben Franklin, that James Madison definitely did a lot. But there's also things to be said that like some of the things as with all the founding fathers, if you do a deep dive on their life, most of them did so many good things for our country. We would not be the America today if it were not for the sacrifices that they made and the um, uh, papers that they wrote or the you know leadership that they provided, whatever insert. But there is something to be said about some of the ways that they lived their life wasn't the most up and up for all of them. Um, granted, it was the 1700s, but that's not an excuse to not live a morally upstanding life. Um, so, um, James Madison, but I found this article by this um, website, um, and it's the top 10 hottest founding fathers. So, number four for James Madison. This quote was just fabulous. Um, despite being a straight-up shorty at five feet, four inches, Jim, I like that's what called in this article. Yes, and that is an actual height for the record. James Madison is was actually five feet, four inches. Um, there are some statues. If you are a, uh, I don't know, a history buff and you want to know, there is a statue at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. That is the correct height of James Madison. So very fun. Um, anyways, um, so despite being a straight up shorty at five feet, four inches, Jim, I like how they also called him Jim for some reason, was a major player in the creation of the Constitution author of the Bill of Rights and co-contributor to the Federalist Papers. Uh, he must have been one busy man. In terms of looks, he has eyebrows better than me, and I'm here for it, is what this author thought. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, this book had moments that I was like, ooh, intriguing. Um, but I, I just had a hard time because it was one of those books. I, I, I told the girls, and I'll get into this a little, well, I guess we talk about now in the spoon scale, but some of the moments with Daniel... Um, reminded me of David from the Christie books last season. And so there's components of it that, you know, there's, he fell in love with her kind of as quickly as she fell in with, 
a love with Nathan, um, even though Nathan didn't know who she was. But there's a component where there, there are some problems with that. And I feel like that while the story ends like positively in a way of like, okay, two characters got together. Um, Julie is saved from having to go back with her terrible uncle, those kind of things. Um, but I do think there was a component for me that, excuse me, um, where I feel like the deeper I dove into the book, the more I wanted to know what happened, but I wasn't like swooning. You know, I wasn't, I didn't really think there were swoony parts. James Madison for me, great founding father, really helped make America what it is today. Again, as his contribution, author Bill of Rights, uh, contribute, con contribute to the Federalist Papers. What's that face for Morgan? I was laughing at Ben. Oh, okay. Um, so similar to Morgan, it wasn't also, it wasn't his looks, um, but you know, five, four, I'm five, three and a quarter. So he's about my height and look what he did. You know, height didn't get, get, get him down. Just like Julie didn't let, uh, contra or what's the word, um, obstacles come in front of her when she was trying to, um, go forth and conquer. So there you, there go. you go. So again, I don't think this book was very swoony, but you know, I had a pick. So James Madison is, is, is my pick. Okay. Right, oh, Alan. man. I mean, She's I'm, still debating. I'm still on the fence. Okay, I'm still on the fence, but I'm going to go with George Washington. Um, I really, okay, and okay, I'm justifying it as I'm saying it right now. Okay. okay. I'm going to go with George Washington because everyone's like, oh, George Washington. Come shopping, come shopping, come He's He's on the quarter, like wow, he's 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 the best. And the one dollar bill. He's got both. Anyways, he's um, on the quarter. <laughs> he's on the quarter. Why don't I think of that person? I don't know. Um okay. anyways, I so here's what I think is that there's a lot of things about George Washington that were really, really great and um our country needed, and he was in the right place at the right time. And mm -hmm. obviously, I feel well, not obviously, but I do feel that that was ordained mm -hmm. by God for such a time as this Esther 414 kind of situation. Um, however, all that being said, I also think there was plenty of things about George Washington that weren't great at all. Um, uh, we don't know all the details of his personal life. Obviously we have like letters that he's written and, and we can kind of glean bits and pieces from his life. Obviously he, owned slaves like all the other founding fathers did. Yeah. And he married Martha Washington, even though he was not in love with her, but she was rich and that was kind of a sleazy thing to do. And so there was things that he did in his life that weren't great, but he ended up, despite his flaws, being used for a purpose that was uh, uh, very, I'm thankful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm thankful yeah. that he was the man that he was. And I feel like, kind of almost taking myself out of the like like what did I feel about the sooniness? I don't know. I feel like that was Nathan and Laddie's situation. It was like this forced proximity kind of thing. Sure. That is hero uh, worship. Exactly. Like made Laddie feel like almost maybe ignoring some of the things about Nathan that were not so great and just admiring or choosing to uh, focus on the qualities about him that were good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Now, in the end, very slapdash at the end, <laughs> we do see these better qualities uh, taking a front seat in the last two chapters. We don't know. Again, he's 17. He's literally 17. So he's got more time to grow as a human being. Um, so I guess in that way, I'm choosing George Washington because it feels like uh, there were some things about that relationship that was like, oh, that that could be really great and mm -hmm. really like memorable. But then also it's hard to, it could be easy. I could see why it was easy for Laddie to maybe ignore the things that seemed like obvious. Like, why would you be okay with this happening? Because of the position she was in. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's kind of yeah. where I'm at. I don't That's personally feel like it was so swoony. No. I'm also no. agreeing with Odette. Like, wow, friend Dan, he was all right. I, he was, he was more interesting to me Absolutely, as a romantic yes. character than yes. Nathan was. I was much more invested in friend Dan. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm saying George Washington. Yeah. Um, ladies, I think for the sake of this, I should read the summaries. They're really short for um, Ben Franklin and George Washington. Okay. Well, for Ben oh, Franklin. This article? Yes, this is the okay. article. Um, where do they rank? Um, so Ben Franklin is number six. Okay. Um, and it says, it's no secret that bifocal Benny boy killed it with ladies despite his hair needing a total makeover. Look at those locks. He could use a serious deep conditioning treatment. I do love a man, though, that isn't afraid to fly a kite in a lightning storm, though. Don't you? So brave. So brave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. And George Washington, number three. So um, one higher than James Madison. Um, uh, he was tall. He was a war hero. And he rode a white horse. Are you swooning yet? He also had pretty bad teeth, though. Well, normally this is unforgivable. As our first president and the literal father of our country, we forgive. From what I understand, he also had the best temperament, which means you, you could argue with him for hours on what should get you for on what you should get for dinner, and he went even bad in eyelash. <laughs> <laughs> These are hilarious to me. Anyways, so yeah, um, love it. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our swoon scale, and um, so to kind of wrap this episode up, do we want to talk about the God factor and then highs and lows? Yes, we should, we should probably make it pretty quick. Um, I've got a God factor locked and loaded. Let's go, Morgan. Okay, so um, my God factor, I have a little bit of a quote to read from this one. This is when it was kind of a funny scene, actually. Nathan and Laddie, I don't know specifically what was happening, but they were bunking down. They were at like a hotel together. And Laddie was very uncomfortable. She's like, I cannot get into bed with this oh, man. Yes. Oh, yes. And he was just like, come on, like, bro. Come on, bro. Jump in bed. And she's like, um, I think I'm going to read my Bible. Let me just go grab it. I'm going to read my Bible instead. And he's like, okay. <laughs> but anyways, but what she said was, um, Nathan sleepily looked across the room at the small figure. You read that book a lot, laddie, he observed, almost as much as my mother, I think. When there was only a nod for an answer, he asked, what's your favorite book? I think Hebrews, laddie answered. Hebrews, Nathan yawned, then said sleepily, don't think I ever knew anyone who had that for a favorite. Why do you like it? I don't know, Nathan, maybe because it's about Jesus being better than anything, better than Moses or angels or Aaron. She gave him a glance then said quietly, my favorite is this verse, for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Why do you like that? Nathan was almost gone. His voice slurred with sleep. Because I, I feel so bad sometimes, and I need someone who understands why I'm like I am. Have you ever felt like that, Nathan? 
he doesn't respond. He's falling asleep. But um, I, I, so I did a Bible study on Hebrews several years ago and I never really studied it before, but that's like what it talked about pretty much. And so when I read that passage, I was kind of completely taken back to that Bible study of Jesus taking the place of the high priest and Hebrews just like does this really it's this really cool job of like breaking it down. And like, it looks at like, if you look at like the context of what the high priest was to the people, it shows how every step of the way Jesus replaces that, but then is also better. Mm -hmm. um, so not only does he, everything that you think you need, he does that, but then you one step more. Um, so I, first of all, I loved that that was included because it's true. What Nathan said, you don't, see that Hebrews mentioned just yeah. a ton. Like it's, it's not, but it's so powerful and poignant because it literally just breaks down point by point why Jesus is what we need. And Jesus is better than what we think we need, better than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. And for me, I, I don't know. That was just really poignant just really like a good reminder. I love that it was included. I thought even the way it was phrased in the book was really like, like Julie, I don't know, like her being like, this is my favorite passage and this is why, like that was what was bringing her comfort mm -hmm. in this crazy tumultuous life she was living. I just loved it. I thought that that was just a really, really beautiful little section. So yeah, it's really good morning. Nyland, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I think my God factor, well, I just really enjoyed the section where Julie was staying with um, <clears throat> Daniel and uh, Sarah. And if you know anything about Quakers, they have a very interesting, like, religious history as a sect of Christianity. But I loved um, just the way uh, that Gilbert Morris portrayed portrayed their their influence on Julie and how it was kind of just this like soft um gentle like unwrapping really of like her heart and they like even though it was very clear that these people like had something in mind like of who she was like a loose woman there was no judgment mm -hmm. Um, they accepted her. They waited for her to talk first. Like they never, you know, like they didn't take advantage of her. Um, and I thought like, what a picture of who the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Cause the Quakers traditionally, and I don't, I don't know if Quakers are still a sect today or not. Actually, I have no idea, but um, historically we're very much um, ostracized because of their emphasis on the what the holy spirit and the way that he moved and they called they're called the quakers because they would shake mm -hmm. and they called the holy spirit they referred to it as the light and they would like wait to talk in their meetings until the light mm -hmm. came until they heard from the holy spirit and i'm not saying that everything about the quaker doctrine is is orthodox but <laughs> i'm just saying like what a picture of like the way the holy spirit works in our lives and how it's gentle and well not always but maybe in my life um mm -hmm. like, uh that it's just like this like gentle not always easy but like us 
a kind, like just so kind. The way that he deals with us is so like generous and kind. And I just thought like, oh, that was like, so, like Daniel and Sarah was such a picture of the kindness of the Holy Spirit in Julie's life. And I love that. Wow, that's really good. And Mylon, that kind of ties to what mine was. So it's interesting that you said that, that they would call the Holy Spirit the light, because I felt like at the very end of the book, the last literally like six pages, um, Nathan, after he's run away, because he's really mad about the Abigail situation, comes back and is basically like, I've had an encounter with the Lord. Even though he's going to be a minister, he literally finds God. To me, it felt very much like Paul on the Damascus road, like God met him where he was at and it literally transformed him. Um, and there's this point that we all have where whether it's this big encounter or this small daily re revelation or a service that we've been at or a video we watch or a song we listen to or a conversation, we all have this moment where we choose the light. And sometimes it's that we have to choose it regularly. And sometimes it's this big moment. And I feel like this book throughout it, like Nathan was kind of on the scale between light and darkness, for lack of a better analogy, because Abigail kind of offered this worldly view. She had the, like all the things that you would want, so to speak in, I mean, granted for the fact she was not a solid person, didn't have a good moral character, but like on the outside, beautiful, wealthy, had connections in, the, in, in society. The things that mattered at the time period was what she was offering. But there was a part of Nathan that was empty, but he wasn't sure why, because he grew up like going to church, he's going to be a minister. And I think that we have those moments where it's not about the religion of our parents or the stories of what they've told us, but for ourselves. And for me, he had this ownership that he came back a changed man because he met God for himself. And so it was a God factor and a, a reminder that, yes, for some people, it's this revelatory thing. And then he kind of ties it into like, while he was meeting God, he realized that he did love Julie. And that like, that's not everyone's experience, but some people have those kind of aha moments where you realize that. But I think that from a God perspective, it, it was a good reminder that um, sometimes the way that we choose the path forward for God is massive. And other times it's small and it's in daily choices that we make or in daily decisions. And that was more Julie just it, like life is that she knew the Lord, you know, and she read the Bible. And, and as Morgan pointed out, she would like, she literally, I feel like treasured the uh, scriptures and the word of God in, in her heart. And yes, she met people on the way who gave that to her, but there seemed like a, a component where for Nathan, it was more this transformative thing. Whereas Julie, it was, you know, a part of her life. Um, and so that was just really powerful. And I was very surprised by that quick conversion at the end. I mean, I know that, it, there was just a lot happening. There was a lot of like uh, action adventure. Like Aaron was there. Like there was just a lot happening. I literally had to read the ending twice because it was like, there was so much happening that you're like, did I miss something? I got the main parts, but little nuances I missed. Um, I definitely appreciated that. And I feel like this book did a good job. Like to me, it was very expected up till that point of um, just because it's a long series. So I don't know that there always has to be this like main character conversion in the book, but maybe that's pretty typical. There's something that they said, like it was reminiscent of Molly's experience. Maybe in a previous book, Molly had a similar experience, but his mother, but anyways, I thought that part was really good. Um, and very like, Oh yeah, it felt very Cause He came back and they noticed a visible difference in him. And how many times have we seen people like that or even ourselves that we look back and we see, um, how much we've changed, you know, and see that um, kind of um, in our lives. So that's my uh, God. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay.
highs and lows. Do we, do we just want to do rapid fire of our highs and lows together? And then I think we should. Yes, <laughs> we gotta wrap it up. To. This has taken longer than a <laughs> path, than a horse ride from Virginia to Boston. Awesome. <laughs> Good one. Um, who, do you want me to go first? Sure, go for it. So highs for me was um, Julie, the character, her gumption. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that she was so resourceful and like for a woman in that time period, I'm not saying that women weren't, but like, I feel like sometimes in these novels, women are portrayed as like weak, but she was smart and she figured it out. She, and she basically survived, um, stands for Nathan saving her of the snow, is like she she was very resolute. And so like, to me, that was definitely a high. Um, a low, and I've talked about this on other podcasts, I have such a problem in a book when someone kisses somebody else when they're engaged or dating someone else. That's just like a huge red flag. Yes, was Abigail a cheater? Was she cheating on, um, uh, my gosh, um, Nathan oh, with Paul oh, and probably other guys? Absolutely. But still, him and Julie kissed when he was engaged to another man. To me, that, that's not a recipe, a recipe for success in a relationship. Um, and I also... I think that there was a component where I was like, I kind of wanted her to end up with David or David. You know. <laughs> I say David because he, he his character reminded me so much of David from Christie, where he like just met her and like proposed, and she was like, wait, what? And he was like, yeah, well, you're gonna like, because then I mean, there there was problems with his character too. Don't get me wrong, there was problems with a lot of these characters, but um, and even his like determination of, well, it's okay if you don't love me, you, you will eventually kind of thing. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I feel like that whole thing and it felt very, which was written in, in the 1980s. A lot of it felt very scary. Go, scary. Wow. Derek. Typical. Thank you. I don't know why that word was hard for me um, of Christian um, fiction in that time period. And a lot of it's like the idea that like, you know, typical, you know, oh, there's a love triangle, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And just yeah. like, that, that part felt very typical. I could have done without that. Um, but I also know that the character Daniel needed to be there. But I wouldn't have been mad if she ended up with Daniel and Nathan just found God and then went to go fight. So, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so my highs and lows. Highs, I, I'm sure I agree. We've said a lot of other things. So I'll say something that I didn't say yet. Um, I really liked, I thought it was fun that it was, I feel like a lot of times in historical fiction, you'll be like, the characters in the book are just, you know, all of the made up characters. And maybe you talk about people who actually existed in the hybrid, but they do not interact. That's just, mm -hmm. it's like separate. But in this book, real care, real people in history, George Washington, Sam mm -hmm. Adams, um, Paul Revere wasn't yeah. he in the book too yeah. Paul was, <laughs> um, yeah. they were interacting with the made up characters of the book and I thought that that was fun yeah. I really enjoyed that um, it made it feel um, like I think mm -hmm. Debt was saying I don't remember she said on the podcast or if it was before like history kind of coming to life yes. like that really makes it feel really vivid um, so I really enjoyed that negatives to me I had two negatives they were both kind of surface level negatives um, the one was there were multiple descriptions that the author did that were like negative description or describing someone in a negative light, but using descriptions of the fact that they were fat as negative. There what? were multiple times yes. that that happened. Oh, yes. yes. And I was like, uh -oh. oh, okay. What? Like it was jarring. And part of it is probably because you don't see that much anymore. That's definitely something that people have gone away from. I think that was a, 
a trend in writing or like an easy, like a thing you could kind of fall on where you would describe someone who is quote bad as fat or ugly or whatever, some sort of what you would consider a negative physical characteristic. And thankfully people don't really do that anymore, but that was in this book. I didn't love it. Um, and to me, it took you out of, it took you out of the story and it was just like, Oh, I don't like that. What's that's, going on? That's it's a great because at the one point he describes one of the generals that he meets as like he he describes him basically as fat and is like he moves pretty good for a fat man and you're like what? Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Henry Knox. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's historically accurate. Henry Knox is, is a big guy. Yeah, but yeah, I I caught that too. Yes. I was like, that's it's odd. It's weird. <laughs> that that to me was very much like of its time. Yeah. Yes, that really dated the book because you yes. don't see that. Um, and then the second thing was the ending. If you know me at all, I love Jane Austen. But if you also know me at all, you know I hate Mansfield Park. And one of the reasons I hate Mansfield Park is because of that ending. Fanny is true to Edmund the entire time. And Edmund cares about Mary Crawford the entire time up until the very end, the last chapter. And he flips around and he's like, oh, Fanny, it's always been you, actually. Wow. How could I not see it until now? And that's exactly what happened in this book. <laughs> Julie was like, Nathan, I love you. Nathan, I love you. Nathan, I love you. True, true, true. Nathan, to be fair. In his defense, he didn't even know she was a female until okay. the last two chapters of the book. Whatever. But still, <laughs> then at the very end. Oh, I mean, no, no, no. It's important. It's important. I'm <laughs> right. But for the sake of what I'm saying is that, okay, yeah, I get that. But then at the very end, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I do love you. I love you. Let's get married. I was like, Ugh. Oh, didn't like it didn't like it so that was a low for me those two things um my high was definitely julie i loved that character i thought she was amazing oh my gosh i would never have the guts to do something like that it's just incredible mm -hmm. the thing the things that she did to survive <clears throat> and also i loved the um real life quotes kind of like what morgan was saying about mm -hmm. the interaction with real people mixed with the made up characters, um, how he pulled all these like famous historical um, mm -hmm. quotes that we know that are on record of people saying and like yeah. pull them into the dialogue and the narration of the book. Mm -hmm. um, that was really fun. Like the battle of Breed's Hill. And mm -hmm. like, Don't shoot them until you can see the whites in their eyes. Like that's yeah, yeah. an actual thing that like um, was said and, and he incorporated kind of those into the narration. I thought yeah. that was fun. <clears throat> um, some lows were, uh, um, yeah, I think just his treatment of the love triangle just felt very not normal. Like, it just felt very like, okay, this is old. <laughs> like, this is an older book. The, yeah. Just the whole way that the love story panned out. Mm -hmm. um, because you kind of walked away feeling like, wow, I don't really like Daniel or Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> I just like Julie. <laughs> I don't like anybody she picked. You don't need these guys, um, Julie. <laughs> you know? And I feel like, but I feel like that's kind of... Um, I feel like there's a lot of good things about the characters. It's just like the way that he went about writing the story. It just mm -hmm. was like, oh, that, you could have done better with yeah. these characters. You could have made him a little mm -hmm. bit more exciting. 
you know? Yeah. That was probably my love. It's just the way the love triangle panned itself out. Because I love a love triangle. I mean, I like a love triangle. It's It, it can be interesting. It could be fun. It can be it can be done well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. It went from being a triangle to being like a flat line, like very quickly. And you were like, wait, what? Yeah. It was weird that Daniel was the one who married them. Like, and he had a marriage license and he was planning on using. And he was basically like, oh, I guess I can add your name, Nathan, instead of mine. I mean, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> ouch. Ouch indeed. But, you know, that that's life in the 1770s for you. I guess. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Don't know. Wasn't there. Don't know. Can't can't speak for myself. Good one. Okay, so we're wrapping up this episode. Sorry, we yes. were a, long, a little long. We're not sorry. Here's the thing: we had a lot of good things to say. We did have a lot of good things to say. Our next episode, you guys. Oh my we're gosh! So excited we're so excited! We're so excited! This is a repeat author for us, oh. and oh my gosh, we are reading. Memory Lane by Becky Wade. Oh. <laughs> one of our faves from one of our fave authors from last season. Yes. We're so excited Get to read this book again. Oh, this is her newest so book. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is her newest book. Um, Here, obviously, earlier this year. Yes, obviously we're heading into a new theme. theme. We're leaving behind military. And this is kind of an in-between book, in between military and our next theme. Yes. So um, this is not in a particular theme itself, but no. oh, so excited to read this book. <laughs> it's a little palate cleanser, to be honest. I, good. if you remember from last season, Becky Wade's book is the reason why we created Swoon Scale. So yeah. I've read a lot of her books since then because I could not stop reading um, her books. So um, I've actually even done rereads of all of her books, or most of her books already. So I would say that... Um, uh, we're just really excited to kind of get back to our roots. Um, we've challenged ourselves a lot this season with different books and different genres and different types of readings and, you know, authors and all that, which has been so, so fun, but excited to kind of get back to OG, some good old fashioned romance and swoon about characters and love stories. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in. And this was another fun episode. Thanks for coming along on this military journey with us throughout the decades, centuries, actually centuries. Yeah. Um, we learned a lot, you know, would recommend some, would not recommend others. So that was, there you go. <laughs>